I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. <laughs> you can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. All right, welcome in, everybody. It is part two of the Important Nonsense Podcast NFL Draft Recap. We are talking about tight ends and wide receivers, and let's be real, it's very briefly tight end. Especially this year, more so than ever. Uh, so we'll, we'll kick this off immediately with tight ends. Yeah. Cole Komet from Notre Dame. Neil, it's a classic Ryan Pace move. You go overpay a not good free agent and then immediately replace him with your first pick in the draft right out of the Ryan Pace playbook. The only thing that he couldn't do was move up to do it. It was the only (laughs) thing that was lacking. He couldn't figure that Uh, part of it out. Komet, the only guy who went before basically the end of the third round was a second round pick near the top of the second round. So does he have long-term prospects that you're actually interested in with the Bears? Yeah, I think so. But the problem is, you want to talk about log jams. They have something like nine tight ends on the roster at the moment. So I, I don't know exactly what the end game is there. But given that they used a second round pick and they had no first round pick, so it's your first pick of the draft. It's a very Bears thing to do to go and get the guy from Notre Dame as well. That can't be that can't be glossed yeah. over. Yeah, can't very understand Bearsy that. move right there. So no, I think he actually does have the toolbox that would be necessary to have long term success. But it's. It's not something I'm interested in for redraft for this season, as we always talk about every year and we'll get into as we trundle on through this offseason. The <laughs> rookie tight end is virtually never going to have value ever, 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 ever for fantasy purposes. So he's going to be a rookie tight end. My, But for long-term purposes, yeah, I think he actually... I think he actually could be the guy in that in that that actually wins that job and holds on because he's got he's got he's younger and he's got a better tool toolbox than about just about everybody on that roster, even Jimmy Graham probably at this point. Let's be real about it. I mean, yeah, there's there's no mistake. John, is there anybody on this list in general? I won't even just go with specifically Comet. I'll give you the whole list. Is there anybody that you're willing to spend a dynasty draft pick on from this tight end? Class? I think Adam Troutman is the one. Troutman, excuse me, is probably the one that uh, comes to mind the most. Uh, taken by New Orleans, I think as far as upside goes, I mean that is an offense that can carry, uh, can really support not only multiple cat pass catchers but also uh, tight end or can support a tight end as well. In addition to pass catchers like wide receivers, uh, you know, so I, I like him a lot as far as the best situation. Um, and I think you know I, I kind of going back a little bit further in the draft, I think. Um, Devin Asiasi, I think for, you know, out of UCLA to New England is, is, a, is an interesting spot. I just think even without Tom Brady there, I mean, you're going to a team that really knows how to use uh, tight ends historically. So I think if anybody's going to get the best out of uh, out of this player, I think it's Bill Belichick. So uh, those are just a couple of names I'm going to keep an eye on in terms of kind of watching their situations in camps, or I shouldn't say camp, but uh, in whatever form of offseason we have. I'll throw it back to Neil because of, you know, we, we mentioned Trotman, the Dayton alum. So we'll go from one Dayton alum to another. Neil, I know you and I are both high on Trotman. Yeah, I absolutely love the pick uh, by New Orleans to get him in the third round. And it's a, I, I can't believe he fell that far. And I have to just chalk that up to the fact that he went to a basketball school in Dayton. Uh, shout out to Dayton. 
and their basketball program, not so much the football <laughs> program. Not so much the football program that played in the Pioneer League for years and plays at Welcome Stadium, which it shares with a high school. So I think that hurt him a little bit. And, uh, the, you know, but as far as raw talent and then opportunity layered onto it, absolutely. I'll take some Adam Trotman for the long haul because I think he's got a real chance to catch on there. Jack, is there anybody that stood out for you from the tight end list? Well, it stood out to me that the Packers took Josiah DeGuara in the third round and have already said yeah, that he's going to Yeah, keep piling it on. Keep piling it on. said he's going to be Kyle Juszczyk, so they spent a third round pick on not a tight end, a fullback. That's hilarious. Matt LaFleur loves the running back by committee so much, even the fullbacks are a committee. He, he loves the running back by committee. Uh, it's just absolutely terrible. But uh, outside of that, there's really not a lot to get excited about. There's the two Patriots guys, Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene, who, like, with the Patriots, the opportunity might be there eventually. That's exciting. Uh, Albert O, he's going to be backing up Noah Fant. So, yeah, he's got all the athletic talent in the world. Not an exciting role. One guy I'm really interested in is, uh, I'm not drafting him, the taxi squad type of guy, Hunter Bryant. He was a lot of people's tight end ones. He was PFF's tight end one. Because he was undersized and not a blocker by any means, a lot of teams just took him right off the draft board, and that's why what caused him to fall reportedly. Has a lot of talent as a receiver. He might be just a bit a big slot receiver for them. A deep dive, he's the kind of guy I want. Other than that, I'm really not looking at spending and he's a guy I'm getting off of waivers after the draft. Really don't want to spend a right. draft pick on any of these guys in Dynasty. Jason, anybody for you? Yeah, I mean, just based on opportunity, it's Asiasi for sure. But, I mean, I don't know why, but I am really intrigued by Hopkins here because it's the Rams. I think they're going to be running a lot of two tight end sets, and I can see them switching between Hopkins and uh, Everett as your two options and kind of go from there and just leave good old Higby to himself and let him run. I mean, uh, the interesting one for me is when you're talking about opportunity you're talking about clear path to production in a role that historically has had a lot of production thad moss undrafted free agent going to washington all he's got to do is beat out jeremy sprinkle and as much as i love the sunday topping i i just can't endorse jeremy sprinkle as a fantasy option i Logan mean thad moss Thomas. again thad moss did logan Thomas like suddenly has, learn how to catch did, did that suddenly happen? Guys, <laughs> he's learning how to play tight end from quarterback. This is the year he breaks out. <laughs> there are so many. It's the the R's are an interesting team because much like the running backs, they have a log jam pretty much everywhere of not talent. They like to just hoard as much mediocrity as they can. So I think Thad Moss has a chance to emerge from that and be at least the number two on Washington. Am I wrong in that? No, I I love Thad Moss to the DC Riveras. I think uh, there's only one stat. The DC Riveras, yes. Upgraded from ours. Yes. Love it. Riveras is better. There's only one stat you need to know about the tight end situation in DC. There is only one player who has the blood of Randy Moss flowing in his body, and that is Thaddeus Moss. That's all I need to know. He'll, that's all I need to know. He's he's gonna get it at some point. I don't care when, but as far as like a flyer, I like him either to pick him up maybe at the end of the draft 
rookie drafts or maybe take a you know a waiver flyer if you're um if you can't wait so or if you if you want to wait i should say yeah i feel like the only trouble is like you said it's randy moss's kid you've you're paying name value unfortunately i I don't think it's going to be tough to get him without having to spend a pick on it but if you can get him off waivers i absolutely would do it throw him on my taxi squad take a chance not all right, let's, let's move on. Let's, let's go to wide receiver, because that's what we all came here for, right? That's what we all care about. That's what the NFL cares about. And let's go to the number one best wide receiver, hands down, according to the Raiders, Henry Ruggs. That's what we all had, right? We all said Henry Ruggs, most talented guy in this class, got to grab him first. Let's trade up and grab him, Henry Ruggs. Everybody agrees with that, right? Everything is legal in Vegas, so... So that's what you're going with, is just because it's a Vegas thing, it's Henry Ruggs, that's why? I mean, I think he was smoking something, but other than that, I don't know why they chose I think I think you are the one that is highest on Ruggs here. So so what's your take on Henry Ruggs in that offense? I mean, I think he is going to be the fast guy. I, I... they're, they don't have anybody that's super wow, fast. Wow, you heard it here first, folks. Henry <laughs> Ruggs is fast. You don't get this kind of analysis just anywhere. You can't just Google Henry Ruggs <laughs> and find that information. you got to come here to importantnonsense.com. You're welcome. Is yeah. Al Davis channeling you? Are you like, is, Al da- is Al actually speaking through you at the moment? Comparatively, yes. I mean, I, like I said, I think he is going to take over for Williams. It's going to be a, kind of a split. and I. Just see him being more efficient with it. He's going to be able to have yards after catch in a wide open space. I mean, I think that that offensive line has gotten better. The defense is looking better. And I just, I have him going a decent amount at 800 yards right now is what I have, Matt. And that's insane for his position. You're right. That is insane. You didn't have to say the four position part. You didn't need the second part of it. All right, does anybody... All right, that, let's go with this. Jack, Henry Ruggs, from a redraft strictly perspective, where does he rank for these wide receivers? You don't have to list everybody else. Just where would you put Ruggs? Uh, he's like a wide receiver five-ish. He's a boom-bust guy like Darius Slayton was last year. Where, yeah, he's going to have a lot of big weeks, but he's also going to have a lot of nothing. And that's just not, he's going to get way overdrafted because he went first round and he went to the Raiders and he, they see that 4 2 8. But he wasn't even the best deep threat on his team at all. I was fourth on the team in receptions of 20 plus yards. So, like, what are we doing here with Henry Ruggs? I don't know. I'm just not about him in uh, redraft or in dynasty, really. Neil, redraft, where you got rugs? In the 4-5 neighborhood, probably 5, to be perfectly honest, just because I don't think you can trust it. There's no consistency. I will say what he does have working in his favor, he's going to be immediately involved. He's electric. Watching the, go watch the video of him playing basketball. That's amazing that he can jump that high. I'm deathly afraid of him getting the one corner at any point because I don't think he can handle it. I think they're going to, also in his favor, though, I think they're going to manufacture some touches for him out of the backfield. The the problem I really have, though, is that he's like 180 pounds. And to be honest, it's not like there's a long history in the NFL of guys who are undersized and burners getting nicked up and then not being able to play. Oh, wait, 
hold on. And it's wait, what team also does this like all the time? 33% of the time since the draft era started? The Raiders take the fast guy. This this is not a model for repeatable success. And that's what scares me. There's just too much uncertainty around it. Opportunity is absolutely there. And the player himself is electric with the ball in his hand. But I just don't think you can count on that week to week. I think to hit that 800 yards, he would have to hit. He would have to be putting up like 140 yards a game. I'm, I'm in line with you guys. So then, Jason, where overall would you generally have him? Like if you're talking about wide receivers in general, how soon are you taking rugs if you've got him at 800 yards this year? I mean, probably he's going to be one of your flyer picks. So eighth, ninth round. For me, like, w- would you rather have rugs or Renfro? PPR, it's Renfro. Okay. Like, and that, that's my big deal. Jack, same question. Still going to lean with rugs because he's got that upside. You know, Hunter Renfro is going to be consistent. That's not going to win you weeks. You know, having eight points to 12 points from Hunter Renfro isn't going to be a week winner. Yeah, you might take a couple L's with Henry Ruggs, but I'll take him absolutely over Renfro. Because you're hoping he booms one week, basically. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think his floor is a complete zero. No, it's just he's going to be hit or miss, but he's still going to see targets in that offense. Derek Carr is a low depth of target guy, and Ruggs does excel on those short targets and doing stuff after the catch. So I, I don't know. I'm just Renfro is just too low of upside. I'm, I would much prefer the Ruggs when he hits because when he does hit, going to be absolutely massive. So John, from a dynasty perspective. Ruggs was the first of all the wide receivers to go off the board. There were six wide receivers in total that went in the first round of the NFL draft. Of those top six, where would you rank Ruggs? Well, I mean, as an individual player, I think his talent is, I think it could, is easily, he has the upside to be the best wide receiver in the draft, but I don't necessarily like his, his um, situation the most. I, he has that tremendous speed, but he currently doesn't have a quarterback uh, on the roster to get in the ball. So that worries me. Um, at least in the short term, long term, who knows? I mean, you know, the Raiders could fix that uh, situation. But as far as the player I like the most of the first round, the receivers taken, I like uh, I like Jalen Rager the most. I think he comes into uh, a situation uh, in terms of productivity. He can walk in and be the number one guy for the Philadelphia Eagles offense. I don't, you know, there are players ahead of him, you know, like Alshon Jeffries on the roster, Deshaun Jackson's still on the roster, but those two players are so injury prone. It wouldn't surprise me at all, um, you know, to see Rager really step up in an, in an immediate way for that offense. So I think in the short term, you can get some really good value out of Rager. Like I was checking out some of the some of the rookie drafts um, on Fantasy Pros, and he's being taken as the 10th player in some of these drafts on average. But I think you can really see some possibly top you know, three, four, five upside uh, with him in terms of this rookie class. But I, I like him the most to make the best, to make the impact right away. I think he has the best quarterback situation. Uh, so I like Rager a lot. It's interesting. I do agree. I think Ruggs is a very interesting guy. My biggest takeaway was that what hurts him a lot, had he landed literally in the C.D. Lamb situation, who we will get to in a second, but ha- if he landed in Dallas, if he was the number two to an established one, that would be a completely different thing, and I would probably have Ruggs as the number one guy on the board. However, he goes to a situation where he's going to be the number one. He's going to beat out Tyrell Williams to be that number one guy. You'll have Renfro in the slot while you've got 
Williams on the other side, but he's going to draw the number one coverage probably from the beginning of the season on. And because of that, I'd rather have Renfro. I'd rather have Judy, Lamb, Rieger. I'd rather have basically anybody that was taken in the first round not named Brandon Ayuk over Ruggs. Uh, it's just the talent is there for sure. It's just not a great offense. And he unfortunately got thrust into a situation where he has to be the guy. And that's not his style. That's the, what helped him so much in Alabama is he had Jerry Judy on the other side. And he doesn't have that luxury anymore. <laughs> now he's the man in Las Vegas. And I don't I don't like that for him in any way, shape. That's still Darren Waller, right? I thought Waller was oh, your yeah. man in Vegas. I mean, of all of them, of all the options, yes, I'd, I'd like Waller. I would go Waller, and then I would put Renfro second, talking about pass catchers, obviously, and then Ruggs would probably be third. But it's just, I, I don't like the situation. But let's talk about the, the top two. Jerry, Judy, C.D. Lamb. They were the top two on most people's boards coming into this. Judy ends up going to Denver in a situation that John Elway couldn't have had in his wildest dreams. Uh, he had the choice between Judy or Lamb, and he went with Jerry Judy. And then C.D. Lamb ends up landing in Dallas in a very interesting scenario. So for you, Neil, which of these guys are you preferring? I mean, it's you're really splitting hairs at that point, but I think both of them land in good situation. They do. They were, they were for me, kind of like two of the biggest winners. Uh on draft day just because you could have found yourself in a much more arduous situation as we already kind of detailed with uh with henry ruggs but for me by nose it's cd lamb just because you have the established passing offense there uh he's either going to slot in at the slot or he's going to move michael gallup into the slot which is the conventional line of logic right now in the industry and he's going to play outside opposite amari cooper with dak with zeke the boys are back they're going to try and they're going to try and do what they did last year and, you know, make no mistake about it, Dak went from being a, you know, mid-level QB last year in people's rankings to, not to being polite, to a, uh, to now he's what, consensus QB4? So for me, it's CeeDee Lamb just because that situation I think is just a little bit tastier than what Jerry Judy's going to walk into. Although Jerry Judy, a uh, very nice situation paired with Cortland Sutton. It's just can Drew Locke deliver the football? We don't quite have that sorted out yet. Uh, Jason, who's your guy between those two? Uh, I mean... It's, it has to be Lamb. He's just, just the fact that they're going to be throwing so much, it's hard not to see that it's right there for him to take. I mean, I have him at 108 targets, so that's insane for a rookie. Uh, Jack, what's your take on Judy and Lamb? Yeah, I think it's C.D. Lamb in both uh, Redraft and in Dynasty. Uh, Judy does slot in perfectly as the better version of Calvin Ridley to Cortland Sutton's worst version of Julio Jones. Just such a question mark with that low volume offense that it has to go to CD. And the biggest standout of this whole offseason process is the rest of the Cowboys rookies have their numbers already selected. CD Lamb does not. And the reason is he wanted to wear number 10. Jerry Jones is trying to get him to wear number 88. He's already willing to declare CD Lamb the next GOAT. <laughs> and not to mention, there's so many targets in that offense. So actually, I'm going to correct you there, Neil. Uh, C.D. Lamb is a dominant slot receiver. He led pro football focus in yards per route run from the slot last season. So he's instantly going to step in and be an upgrade on Randall Cobb, who had, a, had 79 targets last year. 
And they've also lost J Jason Witten. So that's 161 targets up for grabs. And uh, Blake Jarwin is not going to fill them all. I really like what C.D. Lamb can bring to this offense next year. And long-term, they're only tied to Amari Cooper through 2021. After that, he has no guaranteed money left. In the near future, C.D. Lamb could be the alpha in Dallas. You should run with that, Jack, because I'm telling you, the narrative right now that is being purported by just about every fantasy warehouse is Michael Gallup moves inside, C.D. Lamb plays the outside. So if you're telling me that you've got that data, which it sounds like you've got it like pretty much on lock, then uh, keep parlaying that and banding that around, because I think that's a, that's a, <laughs> a lot of people yeah, would, not, would not go with. Yeah, that, well, no, that's a bad take by everyone else. Uh, Gallup fits way better as an X receiver on the outside. He does not profile as a slot at all. That's kind of what CD I thought. Lamb he's not exactly the most cut-worthy guy. He's he's not like precise in and out of his cuts like that. Where CD Lamb, that makes more sense. All right, well there you go. Yeah, yeah. We saw right. that Randall Cobb role had a ton of value as well. So especially yep. now, if you're talking about volume, CD Lamb through the roof. Uh, we already know how you feel about Rager, John. How do you feel about Judy and Lamb? Well, I'm I'm definitely pretty biased when it comes to C.D. Lamb. I got a lot of love for him as you know, Boomer Sooner and all that. But I I think you know, in Dynasty, I think both are in phenomenal situations. But Lamb is certainly in the better situation as far as pass catchers go. Um, you know, I I, I kind of think it depends on really what you're looking for. I mean, I know C.D. Lamb kind of you know can dominate in the slot as well, but uh, so can Jerry Judy. So I think both have a lot of upside. You can't really go wrong with either, but I would go with Lamb. Probably it's a, it's a 1A, 1B situation for me with those two. Uh, I agree with that. My biggest take here, Neil, you can speak a lot to this because, you know, we've talked about two years ago, I was in on Cortland Sutton and then I foolishly got out too quickly. And last year he was your guy. For me, I think it's obvious because, you know, Amari is clearly going to get the number one corner. And whether he's on the outside or like Jack is saying in the slot, CeeDee Lamb is going to have a better matchup and is going to line up and have more opportunity. My concern with Jerry Judy is he is a very talented guy and he can probably handle the number one corner. But with Cortland Sutton there, maybe initially Cortland gets the number one guy and Jerry Judy has better situations. But as the season goes on, I mean, I think it's possible that he gets the number one corner coverage. For me personally, obviously the targets will be less because it's not the entire Cortland Sutton show. But in my own rankings, I don't have Cortland Sutton taking too much of a hit. If anything, I think this helps him out. Yeah, that's kind of been my take on it because now you can't just double cover Cortland Sutton on every play and say, beat me with Deshaun Hamilton and whatever guy you signed off the street. Now no they're going to have to actually spread this around. And I was just going to get there. You got that. You got right in. Noah Fant also is going to demand a little bit of coverage there as well. Because we saw, I mean, he can he can run. So <laughs> we're hoping he takes, a, you know, I think a lot of people are hoping that he takes a big step in year two. I know there's a, lot of, there's a lot of believers in that out there. But overall, I think, as it pertains to the Broncos, I think they're actually just going to be more efficient. Because for the first time in forever, they actually have a quarterback that I feel like you can at least be cautiously optimistic about. I mean, it's not going out and getting Joe Flacco. It's not Case Keenum. It's It's at least something that, I feel like there's at least some level of kind of optimism that this could actually succeed. And you can't say if Drew Locke can't get it done that they didn't give him a shot with adding a bunch of weapons because they've certainly done that now. So for me, I actually think Cortland, if anything, becomes just safer in his projection. And I'm not going to lower him because of Judy because I think the Broncos are just more efficient. And in general, to your point, they, they're not going to be able to just double up and put the, put the safety shadow on Cortland on every play. And we've seen what he can do when he's one-on-one -on -one with people.
ask Jason about that Charger game. Before you threw that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he made that guy retire from football when he threw him into the stands. It's completely fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and Neil, I think you made the point earlier as well um, about the, the quarterback situation too. Like, look, we all have big expectations for year two of Drew Locke, but that's the thing. It's year two. We've seen Dak and what he's been able to establish for a couple of years now. And that offense, especially bringing back the same offensive coordinator, even though, you know, you're bringing back Kellen Moore, even though it's Mike McCarthy coming in as the new head coach, you do have an established offense there that Dak can run. You have the run threat with Ezekiel Elliott. You have weapons and options that I think CeeDee Lamb is going to benefit from. Whereas with Judy, there's a lot of question marks about what they're going to be able to do in Denver. The talent is certainly there, but for me, the safest pick at wide receiver, especially if you're picking early, is going to be C.D. Lamb. Uh, That's pivot to the second half of the first round. John, you already talked about Rieger and your love for him. We also had Justin Jefferson go to Minnesota and Brandon Ayuk go to San Francisco. Obviously, Rieger's your guy, but do either of the other two do anything for you? I love Justin Jefferson going to Minnesota. You know, he... I think he was one of the most dominant pass catchers in all of college football last season and one of the most dominant offenses in the slot. Um, I think he can walk into Minnesota where there's a lot of targets to be, you know, to be filled with the absence of Stefan Diggs. Um, I, you know, I know that they, they're more of a run heavy team, but I think there, there is the, the ability and opportunity to not only support Adam Thielen as an, as a reliable fantasy option, but also I think uh, Jefferson can come in right away, especially as a touchdown, maybe a red zone threat, if he's playing in the slot. Um, and, you know, of course he didn't, you know, he played outside the year before, so we can't just automatically assume he goes to the slot, but the fact that he has the ability to do so, and it would be a, a huge advantage, I think, for the Minnesota Vikings offense. So I love Justin Jefferson there. Uh, Jason, any of these guys in the back three interest you at all? I mean, Rager definitely has the most upside, I think. I, I like Jefferson, but man, that, they just don't pass enough. That is my biggest deal yeah. with Minnesota. They are going to run it down your throat, and I just can't see him being super valuable. But, man, when Ayuk went, I was so pumped because that is going to be a great fit. I just, again, I it's going to be Kittle 1. I'm assuming Samuel 2, and then hopefully Ayuk. But, again, it's too wide open to really go there with that. And so, and compared to everybody else's rankings, I'm way off, or drafting, I'm way off, so I'm not even going to go with any of those as my (laughs) favorite option, but we'll get into that, I'm sure, later. Uh, Jack, do any of those guys stick out to you? Well, I was a big Jalen Rager guy all leading up to the draft, and so he was a perfect landing spot with the Eagles. I think he can be like a DJ Moore type, where he's a modern possession receiver, can to stretch it deep and catch the ball underneath and be used all over the field. The fact that the Eagles draft so many true deep threats, I think that really helps him out overall. Really like the fit with Jefferson it, with the Vikings too. A lot of people aren't big on it. They think that he does too many of the same things as Adam Thielen. What does Kirk Cousin do? He likes to throw the ball over the middle. He likes to throw it intermediate off of play action. Does Justin Jefferson win? Over the middle, off of play action, separating in the slot. So that's a great fit there. And like Jason said, Brandon Ayuk. He's going to run the ball. He's going to catch the ball over the middle. It's going to be that whole schemed offense that Kyle Shanahan likes to run. In college, Brandon Ayuk averaged 18.3 yards per reception. 
10.9 of that came after the catch. So he averaged a first down after the catch per reception. It's going to be really exciting in San Fran. It's going to be pretty boomer bust in terms of fantasy production. Oh, that's going to be so much fun. I mean, it's very interesting. I think my take there is, again, I'm, I'm not a big Rieger fan, but he steps into the situation that gives him the best opportunity. To John's point earlier, you have a couple of injured receivers ahead of him on the depth chart, aging injured receivers at that. So he has the clearest path to success, whereas you have Jefferson and Ayuk, who, yes, they're stepping into offenses who don't have guys in front of them, but they're offenses that hate to pass the ball. Last year, Minnesota was 32nd in the league, and San Francisco was 30th. So it's two teams that just don't throw the ball at all. And when they do, it's typically to the tight end or check. It's not a lot of big play opportunity. So yes, there's opportunity there. Yes, they have a chance to do something, but will the team actually utilize it that way? I think that's uh, that's the greater question. Neil, do any of those guys stick out to you at all? I think all three of them, the points that everyone has made are completely valid. All three of them in all likelihood will have some level of value. They're all, <laughs> they're all more or less locks to, you know, see playing time relatively early. Uh, I do like the fact that Justin Jefferson is competing against just a lot of these guys are competing against like below replacement level type of talent. So uh, someone did make the point. I believe it was Jack. I, I also think that Ioka is very interesting because you will get some running of the football. That is that is absolutely something that I highlighted there, especially him going to San Francisco. I was like, oh, they clearly have a type. So look for, look for that. I think that that makes him very interesting kind of for the hall when a lot of people are kind of downplaying him if he's got some sort of rushing built in. Neil, we'll stick here with you. We've got the top half of the second round. T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, LaVisca Chenault, K.J. Hemmler, a bunch of guys who have a lot of upside and a lot of potential in the offenses that they landed in. Um, how would you rank those four and what do you think about uh, the way I would rank it is uh, Pittman, Higgins, Hamler, and Chenault. And it's a shame because Chenault, I actually really like. He's incredibly talented when he's on the field, but the injuries have me kind of afraid. Much like why his NFL stock fell a little bit on draft day. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not convinced on his durability just yet. Although him landing with Jacksonville, well, we're probably going to find out pretty quick. That's I think that's why he, why he's a, a favorite of a lot of them. But for me, uh, of that list, ranking them number one's got to be Michael Pittman. Uh, just perfect landing spot for him in Indy. Just cannot believe how well they they thought that through. He's going to walk out there and there's just no one for him to compete against. He's just going to walk out and just immediately start producing. Yep. He's a perfect fit for the system they run. So Michael Pittman for me, for sure, at that area of the draft table. Yeah, I agree. Pittman is my guy in that group as well. And I you know, brought up the point to you that I saw. If you want to you know, know how they feel about Michael Pittman in Indianapolis. They were willing to take him and miss out on Jonathan Taylor because they like Michael Pittman so much that they wanted him in the offense to make sure they had their guy. So he's absolutely somebody I'm all in on in drafts this year. John, how do you rank those four in the top half of the second round? I probably like Pittman the most. You know, probably Chenault after that. I think there's just besides Chark, I kind of think the pass catching opportunities are kind of wide open. Um, I really like Higgins a lot as a player individually, but I just think his situation, I'm, I'm just not really big on since quite yet, even though I understand, you know, they are obviously rebuilding new quarterback, whole new situation, but um, I'm kind of wait and see in terms of being stock in that offense. So um, probably would go, I'd go maybe third and Hamler. 
Uh, so yeah, Pittman, Chenault, Higgins. And- uh, Jack, how about you? Oh, I think Pittman is the easy answer for number one. He's a guy I really liked coming into the draft. He profiles for, for me. I wrote an article a couple weeks ago uh, how what the ceiling is for all of these rookie receivers. Michael Pittman I had as a Jordan Thews type guy. 67 catches, 876 yards, and eight scores was his role as a big slot receiver. That's exactly what Pittman can be for the Colts. They have T.Y. Hilton, and they have Paris Campbell as a gadget, but they have no one working the intermediate of the field. Well, that's going to be really exciting for Pittman. He's a clear-cut number one. Uh, T. Higgins, I think, is the easy choice for number two because he has Joe Burrow to grow with. Not going to be great this year because A.J. Green's going to be holding him back. But at the same time, he could easily replace John Ross as, uh, in a starting role. That's not too hard to envision. So Higgins is really exciting. I'm going to go with LaVisca next because I think he's too physically gifted to not put him there. Like He ran a 4.58 with a torn groin. And that was really impressive. That's a 78th percentile speed score on player profiler. I really like that. I think he's really raw and he's a guy I'm really going to like in 2021. This year, he's going to be a fun gadget guy. And then I'll put Hamler at the bottom, but I still really do like him. He's a guy who spent two years away from football and then put up 700 receiving yards in the Big Ten. Spent two years away from football with rehabbing an ACL injury. So that's just pure talent there. He's just a guy I think is going to take a little bit longer to develop down the line. All right, keep it moving in the second round. We'll go to Jason. We have all those four guys I already mentioned, plus you've got Chase Claypool who went to Pittsburgh, Van Jefferson with the Rams, Denzel Mims going to the Jets. Of the eight wide receivers that went out there in the second round, do you like any of them particularly for redraft one over the other? Well, I'm definitely going to follow Jack here because I had Pittman, Higgins, and then Chenault. But actually, above all them is somebody you still didn't say, and it's Antonio Gandy-Golden. So we like haven't him. gotten that far, obviously. That's why I threw I, to you for the second round, guys. I know. That's why I... But again... All the way down to the fourth round of bad receivers. This guy. Yeah, just hey, skipping he around. is not Skipping that, around. But I like him, and then of the ones you stated, I guess I'll go with Claypool because I like his opportunity. I think that he's... There's enough targets there that are going to be available, especially if Big Ben is healthy. It's going to work out great. I think he wants to make a statement when he comes back, and it's not going to be pretty for everybody else. Yeah, we kind of have to reset that whole Pittsburgh wide receiver situation. Jack, I know you're a big Josh Reynolds truther. Uh, How do you feel about Van Jefferson landing with the Rams? Oh, I think it's an absolute nightmare. Uh, You are right. I am a big Josh Reynolds guy. Josh Reynolds is a really skinny and tall receiver. While he's not tall, Van Jefferson is also really skinny. You know who else is really skinny? Cooper Cup. Again, although he has kind of bulked up since he came to the NFL. They all just kind of do the exact same thing, attacking the intermediate of the field. It's just so many mouths to feed. And I don't get why you would go for a Van Jefferson. Then Alpha, like Denzel Mims, is there on the board for you to take. Denzel Mims is my top guy out of the next four that we talked about. He's better than Brashad Perriman just walking into the Jets. And Jamison Crowder can only do so much as a slot receiver. Denzel Mims has Sam Darnold willing to throw it up to him. He is going to be dominant, and I don't understand why the Rams would take Van Jefferson over Denzel Mims. No sense. Uh, John, from a dynasty perspective, how do these back-end second-round guys rank for you? Well, I think Mims and Jefferson have the most upside right away. I think they walk into offenses where there are targets – uh, there are, you know, to be had, uh, especially in LA. Uh, 
you know, getting rid of Brandon Cooks, you know, in, in New York, uh, you know, uh, there as well. So those are the two I like right away and from a dynasty perspective. But I am a little more – I'm pretty worried about Jefferson um, from an injury standpoint. You know, he missed, uh, you know, parts of – I believe he missed the combine entirely because of broken foot, if I recall correctly. Um, so that's a little concerning. Um, but I think Mims is the one I'm probably the most excited for. And then, Neil, what about you? You've got the end of the second round here. Any of these guys really jump off the page for you? Yeah, I think maybe the hate's gone a little bit too far on Van Jefferson here. Look, I'm not trying to suggest that this is something I want to invest super heavily in, but I'm just trying to make a point here. The The Rams clearly have a type now, and they have this problem where all of those guys that they keep sending over the middle keep getting injured. So I think the theory is, much like a beaver dam, we're just going to get a bunch of them <laughs> and just run them all out over the middle and we'll just see which one of them does it best and can hold on for as long as possible. But in terms of like a real thing that you want to invest in late in drafts, uh, it's insane to me that that Mims made it that far and ends up in the Jets. And it's hilarious because it's the most Jets move possible. It It, it is the perfect Jets move. So for me in the back end, you got to go, you got to go Mims there just for the, the upside and the opportunity. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's the most talented of the guys there. When we move on to the third round, You've got uh, Lynn Bowden, who we didn't mention last time because he played quarterback in college. He also played a little bit at wide receiver. He came in drafted as a wide receiver. They have declared him a running back. You want to talk about Swiss Army Knives? I mean, Lynn Bowden definitely fits that bill. The pick right after that, Raiders also took Brian Edwards. And then you've got Devin Duvernay from Texas going to Baltimore to essentially fill that number two role with Hollywood Brown. Uh, Jack, any of those guys jump out to you? Uh, so Lynn Bowden is just super weird. I'm going to touch on him real quick because he's a running back. It sounds like he's going to be DeAndre Washington to Jalen Richard's Jalen Richard. That sucks because Josh Jacobs isn't any passes, and that's just disappointing. Whatever. I'm really excited about Brian Edwards. He was a low depth of target guy. They threw him a lot of screens at South Carolina. But coincidentally, Kirk Carr is really good at throwing short. Marcus Mariota, really good at throwing short. This is an offense that's built to his skill set. Henry Ruggs is like the true number one. He's the guy that everyone's going to be afraid of, and he's going to get all of the primary coverage. I'm not going to be surprised if by the end of the season, Brian Edwards is starting over Tyrell Williams. I'm not going to be surprised when he ends up being the high-volume target guy on the outside and ends up being better than Hunter Renfro. I'm ready for Brian Edwards to end the season last four games as the number one fantasy option out of those receivers. Not out of Daryler, but out of the receiver. What a what a call. I like it. I like it a lot. I definitely believe he can beat out Tyrell Williams by the end of the season for sure. I absolutely think he'll beat out Nelson Aguilar in camp. No doubt about it. I even forgot he was there because that's how little <laughs> Nelson Aguilar matters. There you go. Uh, John, what are those guys are you interested in? Well, I mean, I, I don't want to you know, beat a dead horse too much, but I really like Bowden Jr. a lot. Lynn Bowden Jr. I think he's just a gadget player. Uh, you can put him all over the field. You can run him in the wildcat. I mean, he can take snaps pretty much anywhere. He runs, he returns kicks and punts. Um, so I just think he's one of those guys that he'll find a way if John Gruden uh, knows what's good. Maybe he'll, he'll try to find a way to put the ball in this guy's hands. Um, you know, I think he's definitely a lottery pick and in, in, in a dynasty draft, for example. Um, you know, I'm not expecting a whole lot, but it's one of those that, man, if it catches in, I think it could really it could pay off, you know, big uh, for you a dynasty. Yeah, for me, Bowden's a very interesting guy because 
as I projected out, I really feel like he kind of destroys Jalen Richard. Am I wrong there? Given that he was a wide receiver slash quarterback in college, I feel like his pass catching ability kind of makes Jalen Richard obsolete in this offense by midseason. It depends on his pass blocking that I'm more worried about. That's the only reason I think he doesn't have the value. I think he's just too explosive that eventually they're going to realize that he's a better football player than Jalen Richard. So that is what should happen, Steve. You're absolutely right. But remember, John Gruden. Cannot argue that at all. All right, let's, let's go to the fourth round. So we've got uh, Gabriel Davis and Antonio Gandy-Golden going to uh, the D.C. Rivieras. Uh, you also had Joe Reed going to the Chargers in the fifth, Tyler Johnson to Tampa Bay, Colin Johnson to Jacksonville, got Quintez Cephas to Detroit, John Hightower to Philly, Isaiah Coulter to Houston, Darnell Mooney to Chicago, K.J. Osborne to Minnesota. The fifth round was very busy for wide receivers on Saturday. John, there's a lot to gather in there, but from a dynasty perspective, those are all third, fourth round rookie draft dart throws. Who do you like the most? It's Tyler Johnson. It's not even close for me. I mean, the numbers that he was able to put in Minnesota, I, to me, they're comparable that, that Justin Jefferson put up at LSU, but we didn't talk about uh, him as much because he plays at Minnesota. Um, and I think he walks into one of the most unique situations, getting to play with Brady, uh, perhaps in one of his last few years. So I think... Um, you know, I know Scotty Miller's there as far as a slot receiver goes, and, and you could kind of pencil him in, but it wouldn't surprise me at all at all if Tyler Johnson comes in and upends Scotty Miller uh, from a productivity state. Uh, you know, I think going back to to Bowling Green with Scotty Miller, he you know he was nowhere near the player, college player that that uh, Johnson uh, was. So I really liked. I'm almost ready to pencil him in as the potential slot receiver in that Tampa offense this year. Yeah, I would agree with that. Is he more of a guy that? you're interested in if you need like an immediate answer at wide receiver, because I think long-term it would be a major concern because of Brady's age. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you need a guy that you want to pencil into your dynasty team to get production right away, yeah, I think he has the more immediate upside, but it ultimately depends on his upside continuing depends on who's next after Brady. Are they going to groom a guy or uh, that could come in, you know, after Brady or, or what? What's what's the situation going to be like? And that's something we can't really project right now. Yeah, that's that's the biggest question mark for me there. Uh, Neil, of those guys in the fourth, fifth, fifth round, who do you like? You can't say enough good things about Tyler Johnson, but we've already pretty much covered that in a very, <laughs> a very real and detailed way. The one that I thought was interesting was, and it's more for the future, it's not for so much right now. Uh, I liked Quintez Cephas to Detroit because they also have a long history of needing like a small guy that can kind of do it all from the slot for you. And that is very much Danny Amendola's replacement right there if they have their druthers. So that's interesting. It's a uh, it's kind of a late round kind of deal or, you know, it's one of those things that I kind of like for the future. So just kind of a name to know. But I thought he landed in a really nice, uh, a really nice landing spot. And I love Antonio Gandy-Golden so much. And I'm so frustrated, Steve, as we discussed already, that he ends up with the R's. The law firm. The, yep. That's right. And I know, like, it, it's, it's just kind of frustrating because I felt like he needed to go to a spot where he could kind of, like, learn and develop a little bit more. And getting tossed in with the, the D.C. Riveras, I mean, he's going to have to see the field, I think, before, before it's his time. But that's, uh, 
that's kind of frustrating there. But I, I don't I don't mind him as the player. Jason, we know your love for Gandy Golden. Is there anybody else in that group that you take away as a redraft guy? I mean, just based on how injury prone the Eagles are, I have to go with Hightower here. <laughs> Think that he has like a clear shot to uh, production is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, just because I can see Jeffrey tweaking something and Jackson being potentially hurt, and then it's all rookies that are playing again with two tight ends. So it that would be the next step in my mind of those options. Uh, Jack, how about you? Uh, so I'm not going to really rehash anything that's already been said. All love Tyler Johnson. He's great. But it says Cephas, I agree. He's slow. He's like that Anquan Bolden type that Detroit's been searching for since Anquan Bolden. <laughs> he could be really exciting. Uh, the guy I like is Joe Reed from Virginia. Now, he's not going to be too relevant right now because they have Mike Williams to play that role as the deep ball, jump up, jump ball threat. But Mike Williams is up. His contract's up soon, and he's probably going to get overpaid. Chargers are probably going to have to pick between him and Hunter Henry. I think they're going to pick Hunter Henry over Mike Williams. Joe Reed can step into that role in a year or two and become the new Mike Williams for Justin Herbert, who has an absolute cannon for an arm. Really excited for Joe Reed down the road. I for sure thought you were going to go Darnell Mooney because you wanted to talk to me about how great Darnell Mooney is. So I for sure thought that was the way you were oh, I love go. Darnell Mooney, but like we talked about earlier today, he's going to be behind Ted Ginn. That's not exciting at all. He's not going to play this year. He's going to be the team's wide receiver 5-6. Long term, I do like him as the guy to be that deep threat, but I, I have trouble endorsing him as my guy because that quarterback situation is so unstable in Chicago. Yeah, I feel like it just depends on how deep your te- your league is, really. I mean, if you're talking about like a 16-team league, then there's a chance where you have a third or fourth round pick you're willing to spend on Mooney because, you know, the upside a couple years down the road. I completely agree. I do like him down the road. It's just hard, hard to, to endorse in the near future, but plenty of upside down the road. He really could be what Ted Ginn used to be. He's actually got hands. Uh, so then you have the sixth and seventh round. Donovan Peoples-Jones goes to Cleveland. Quez Watkins to Philly. You got James Proach in Baltimore. Isaiah Hodgins to Buffalo. Desmond Patman to Indy. Freddie Swain to Seattle. Juwan Jennings to San Francisco. KJ Hill the steal of the draft going to the Chargers and Tyree Cleveland in Denver. That's go to the Chargers beat reporter, Mr. Draven. What do you, what do you got on any of those guys? I think I know where you're going to go. Oh yeah. It's KJ Hill. I think he's just going to be slotted in. I don't think it'll be this year, but I do see him going next year as an awesome option for Herbert or Tyrod or whoever they decide or is actually going to keep the job or take over the job, I think that's going to be an awesome option for him. And just the talent there is amazing that they got him so late. It blows my mind. Blew me away that they were able to get him near the end of the draft. I thought he was going to go undrafted for a little while there. That was pretty remarkable. Uh, Jack, any of those guys jump off the page for you? Just to uh, compound what Jason said, yeah, KJ Hill, absolute steal. He's this year's Hunter Renfro as the guy that's going to walk in and be a starter in the slot from day one. There's another guy who could do that, and that's James Prochet. And it's because Willie Sneed offers the exact same thing as James Prochet. Prochet is much younger and probably much better. Willie Sneed's not that great. We know what he offers from a slot at this point. He's a possession slot receiver. Isn't going to offer you a whole much, a whole lot in fantasy. 
James Proch can do both on the inside, outside, slot, outside receiver, and win anyway. It's he's going to be exciting to see in that Ravens um, versatile offense. And all he has to do is beat out Willie Sneed. Duvernay is going to get the first crack at it. But then Miles Boykin's on the roster, and that's it. So there's really not much competition for targets in Baltimore. Really exciting guy down the line. I think the biggest question here is, is James Proch a a Prochet, another Mostair situation, or is it actually Prochet? I think that's the question that people need to I actually don't know, and that's why I don't know if you noticed, but I kind of went back and forth throughout. <laughs> Let's see. According to NFL.com, it's Prochet. So, uh, uh-huh. kudos uh-huh. to you, Mr. Mostair. Kudos to you, indeed. Uh, so, John, what do you got? Those back-end guys, sixth, seventh round, who do you like? Well, I really like Prochet a lot so much that I wrote about him today in the piece I just put out on looking at dynasty value. So I don't really want to belabor that too much. I mean, again, I really just I look at past production and he comes into the league. Feel free to plug yourself, though. That's fine. Go right ahead. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, he he comes into the league with already nearly 4,000 yards receiving and almost 40 40 touchdowns to his name. So I just think he's a guy who knows how to get, you know, put up yards and touchdowns. And that that has to mean something in the league. The only downside, I think, is he's playing in the Ravens' offense, which is a dynamic offense, but it's one that clearly emphasizes the run more. So, you know, even if he, even if best case scenario, and he were to, you know, become one of the uh, leading pass catchers, you know, that may there might be a, somewhat of an artificial ceiling on that, just because of what the offense and how it's structured. You know, we kind of glossed over it. Nobody wanted to talk about Devin Duvernay going to Baltimore in the third round. Do we think he can establish himself over Miles Boykin as the number two there? Because I absolutely think he can. Yes. Oh, without question. Yeah, uh, no that's, doubt. That's, that's going to happen. That was a resounding yes from everybody. And yeah, I believe I was, so. A little hurt I, mean, I think he's a game. guy that's worth a flyer. He's going to 29 overall wide receiver 14. So I think he's got a real shot to be someone you can take a chance on and end up with cashing in on for Baltimore. Yeah. Even though, expect- to your point, he doesn't throw to the wide receivers. I expected someone else to hit on him earlier, so that's why I kind of left it open. But yeah, Devin <laughs> Duvernay is easily better than Willie Sneed, uh, and he's also better than Miles Boykin. Miles Boykin was great at the Combine, showed last year and throughout his career at Notre Dame that not that great in pads. So Devin Duvernay, especially because he's that versatile guy who can take the take handoffs, all that kind of stuff with four three nine wheels, yeah, really excited about what he can offer because he is explosive and that's what you need to be to produce in the Ravens offense. You either have to be big plays or you got to be Mark Andrews. Yeah, when we were talking in the third round, we all got distracted by uh, the shiny toy and Lynn Bowden, just like John Gruden. I mean, it's just, yep. it just happens. You can't help it. Just I jumped in the fourth round. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> yeah, you jumped all over the place, so I'm not even going to mention you. That's fine. All right, That's John, the reason let's go. I didn't get to Duvernay, though, is because I jumped to the fourth round. I was so happy about Gandy Gold. Uh, I had no idea where else to go. Yeah, you, uh, got, you, you threw yourself into a tizzy. That's fine. All right, John, let's go to the undrafted guys, the undrafted free agents. There were a ton of talent at wide receiver in this draft, so a lot of them ended up not actually getting picked up and getting signed off of waivers at the end of the whole thing. Anybody stick out to you from a long list of guys that got signed after the draft was over? Yeah, and uh, to quote The Wire, Omar's coming because I love (laughs) Omar Bayless going to the Carolina Panthers as an undrafted free agent. I love this move. Uh, Again, looking at past productivity, Omar Bayless 
was a total touchdown machine at Arkansas State. 17 touchdowns in his final year there. The guy just knows how to find the end zone. So as far as upside goes, as far as looking at like a lottery pick, uh, you know, I or a lottery ticket, I should say, I like Omar Bayless a lot uh, in Dynasty at least. Um, maybe not, you know, the offense he's going to, maybe not necessarily one of the best uh, passing offenses we'll have to see with the new coaching staff, but you know, I just like his upside at least as an undrafted free agent. Jack, are any of those undrafted guys sticking out to you? Uh, so I do want to touch on the Ohio State guys really quick, just because they are Ohio State. So uh, Benjamin Victor and uh, Austin Cole, I believe his name is, signed with the Giants. Quick touch on them. I'm really excited about is Jeff Thomas, who signed with the Patriots, because, of course, you got to be excited about undrafted free agents with the Patriots. Last year, we had Gunnar Olszewski. He was really exciting until he got hurt. Jacoby Myers was also really exciting until he wasn't that productive when they traded for Mohamed Sanu. Jeff Thomas has a really good chance to fill that role that Phillips Dorsett used to play as the vertical kind of slot, kind of outside guy that just runs deep all the time. But Thomas had a brutal situation at Miami last year, and he does have attitude problems, so that's part of the reason he went undrafted. Brutal quarterback situation last year, but in 2018, nine catchable passes on over 20-plus yards. All of them scored three times on and had 327 yards. So he does bring that deep threat that they've been looking for. Better than Braxton Berrios. He's better than Chris Hogan, like that kind of mold. So there's a real chance that you can get Jeff Thomas for real cheap. Uh, Austin Mack is the Giants wide receiver you were talking about there from Ohio State. Ah, thank you. I knew it was something basic for the last name. <laughs> uh, Jason, any of these guys stick out as flyers for you? That's definitely no. I mean, <laughs> ooh, solid. All right, perfect. <laughs> I mean, Wonderful. I'm not doing it's redraft. I, I, none of these guys are even going to be kind of important, in my opinion. It might be one a weird week where somebody just explodes or there's a onslaught of injuries that one of these guys become relatively useful. But other than that, I'm no, I'm not touching him with any kind of a pull. Uh, Neil, anybody jump out to you? Uh, when you're down this low, I think the one as Jack mentioned, keep your eye on is Jeff Thomas. Just because they, right. they that's absolutely a situation where, boy, it gets ugly quick in that receiver in that receiver room, <laughs> and uh, they do like to take their. Uh, it's a perfect project for Belichick, right? Attitude problems yeah. fits my scheme, fits my mold. I think if they can get him reined in and get all his wheels moving forward, that's the one that I like the most. For me, if I'm going to roll the dice on any of these guys, somebody I like a lot is Marquez Callaway. He goes into a situation coming from Tennessee where he played in the SEC. He got a lot of touches. He got a lot of looks. He's got a big skill set, and he steps into an offense with the Saints where really you've got Michael Thomas and now Emmanuel Sanders, and then what? I mean, you got Traquan Smith and then Deontay Harris at wide receiver, but I mean, Callaway steps into a situation where we talked about Broncos with running back undrafted free agents. How about Marquise Colston? Remember him? I mean, you, th this is an offense with Sean Payton who can take a guy that nobody else wanted, find a way to utilize that talent. Somebody has to fill that role that's left behind by Ted Ginn on that offense. Callaway is a guy I feel like can slot in there and be productive if given the right amount of opportunity. So. If I'm going to roll the dice on anybody in these undrafted free agents, he's a guy I'm definitely taking a look at. All right, Jack, I'm going to give you the first shot at this here. The floor is open. Any final notes you want to leave for the people from the 2020 NFL draft? Maybe you didn't already have. 
Uh, well, just be important to uh, remember that, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the post-draft hype. But these are a lot of rookies, and after the third round, they really start to matter a lot less. And so while it is easy to be excited about the shiny new toys, make sure you're always churning the, the free agent wire. Look for guys who could break out, people that owners have cut, thinking that, you know, the shiny new toy. Like, for example, Joshua Kelly. If someone cuts Justin Jackson because they're excited about Joshua Kelly, that's the top player you want to pick up because there is still the chance he produces. So make sure you're checking for those because, yeah, the rookies are really exciting. But if you have an established guy that you can, we know that he's good in the NFL or at least okay, that's a guy that's worth a roster spot over a seventh round flyer on a yeah. guy like Colin Johnson. Yeah, it's a, I mean, that's a great point as well. We talked about Cortland Sutton. You know, Jerry Judy being there, so people being down on Sutton, I think you shouldn't crater him. Same thing with Carrion Johnson from the last show and Daryl Henderson. Guys who are established veterans that will still have a role on their team, uh, even a Mark Ingram. The guys that are going to have a role that maybe won't be as prominent as it was before that you can get for dirt cheap right now. These are great buy-low candidates, and in a dynasty league, a great time to do it. Jason, any parting words? Nah, man, I'm good. Perfect. He did it. He did it. We gave him the prompt and he nailed it. I'm so impressed. Can be appreciated. John? Yeah, I mean, I think just kind of piggybacking a little bit off of what Jack said, I, I think this season, I think as far as the dynasty goes, um, I think I think dynasty players are gonna have to be patient. Um, because the players that are available now will probably not have the same sorts of opportunities as previous classes with the possibility of OTAs, mini camps, training camp being impacted by uh, COVID-19. So I just think that um, I think we got to be really careful, maybe more careful in this draft than ever, be more patient and, and discerning more than ever, because um, we just don't know what that's going to look like, what the impact might be. But I would, I would venture on the side that it's probably going to have sort of a negative impact on productivity. So keep your expectations maybe a little lower for rookie productivity this year, but um, that doesn't mean that those players won't maybe pan out future uh, would be my my takeaway neil and i were having this discussion yesterday i think you would actually have a good take on it so from a dynasty perspective this is a deep deep wide receiver class probably deeper than we've seen in a long time and after you get through the top couple of guys at running back it, it really kind of drops off a cliff so at what point if you're in the first round in a 12-team league, where are you sitting that you're thinking, all right, I think it makes more sense to trade back and get a wealth of picks than stay where I am and take the 7th, 8th, ninth guy off the board? What's your, what's your Mendoza line in terms of like the actual player? Let's just say we could get some sort of consensus here to, to drill down on that question. If you had, like say, like the 8th pick right. or the ninth pick, and you're talking about where's your Mendoza line for, okay, that's not really worth my time anymore. Is it, it, I'm guessing it's not as early as five because at that point you're still talking about the possibility of getting like uh, of Swift or one of the the top receivers. But where yeah. is it? Is it Michael Pittman? Where's your line that it's like nah, that's the, the value on this is no longer worth my uh, my my time. I think once you start getting into maybe those second round receivers, if you're talking about Pittman or you're talking about Chenault, for example. Um, you know, I, I like those players a lot, but you know, if I can find uh, better value, maybe in the future, I would definitely want to move back. Uh, because I think, I think the difference between maybe getting a player like that and then going out player, say like Antonio Gandy golden, 
Um, it's just the difference isn't big enough. I, I, I think that the gap between those kinds of players isn't big enough for me to maybe um, to take that risk, I guess is how I would answer that question. Let me ask you this then. Brandon Ayuk, one of the most controversial rankings that I, I keep seeing. It's just all over the place. It's up and down and people don't seem to know really what to make of it. Is Brandon Ayuk worth the first round pick? I think so. I just think the upside of the San Francisco offense is too high. I think I think the offensive mind of, of Kyle Shanahan is just too good. Um, and I think that Arizona State offense is producing pro talent as of as of late with the addition of Herm Edwards, as Jack mentioned in a previous podcast. Um, so I, you know, I just think I think he that's I'm kind of on the fence with with Brandon Ayuk, but you know I do in my 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 longtime dynasty draft I do have the seventh pick coming up, and that's a player I'm going to be probably looking at and considering. But um, if if that's the, you know the player that comes to me in terms of the best available, I probably would pull that trigger. But I also might um, you know be a little more uh, interested in at least kicking the tires on a trade for sure. Pittman or Ayuk? Last question because we got to wrap <laughs> this up. Pittman or Ayuk? Ayuk. Ooh, interesting. Spicy. Oof. That is spicy. Now I kind of want to throw it back to other people, but unfortunately, I wanted to send everybody out there just on a positive note, and uh, we'll be back. No, that that was the debate that we were having, right? Was it you know, is the if you're in the seven, eight, nine range? Do you trade back to get two or three second or third round picks because the value comparatively is I'd rather have three of those dart throws than take the guy I can get at eight. And for me, I'd rather have the value. I'd rather have multiple chances to hit than take a chance that one of these guys is going to end up being the guy. For more, uh, more concepts on Dynasty like that, thank you, John. Dr. Dynasty, Dr. in his Dynasty. first thank appearance. You. We like it. We love it. We want some more of it. So uh, you can find him on the socials at ChanceyFF. I'm telling you, you get, if it's not already taken, you got to get that at Dr. Dynasty. Before this drops, but somebody out there won't grab it. You got to go right now. So All you right. can find him at Chancey FF temporarily. Could yes. be at Dr. Dynasty by the time this airs. Who knows? Uh, at Javanaugh87 for Jack Cavanaugh at that FF nerd. Of course, at nonsense underscore Neil at nonsense underscore Steve. Shout out to our guy at Tim underscore Kitzrow, official announcer of importantnonsense.com. Find everybody at importantnonsense.com. We will be back in a couple of weeks with. Uh, Tales from the combine, right? Or or not? And our ranking summit. Ranking summit. There you go. Ranking combine. Ranking summit. It's all. It's it's blending in my brain. But yes, <laughs> ranking summit coming up, so we can get that going and and try to get our our tiers going, get the rankings up for the website and twenty twenty season going. Can't wait. Cannot <laughs> wait. It's it, it's just nice to have some level of like sports and normalcy, right? Right? Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Anything. We'll take it. We'll yep. take it. All right. But until then, everybody, just keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz. And you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!